Good afternoon. This is Sean McGuire with Edie Bellis and host of America's Healthcare Challenge radio show. I'm joined today in this very special broadcast by a great friend of mine, Stuart Sloan, and president of State Consulting Limited and Renaissance Captive Solutions. Stuart has been a frequent guest on our show over the past years, and he's developed a nationally known, and he is a developed nationally known benefit consultant writer and speaker who has developed many innovative programs during his career and continues to look for creative solutions to today's post-ACA benefit challenges. Stuart, thank you so much for being with us today. How are you doing? Sean, uh, good. It's uh, great being with you. Great, great. Thanks. Uh, looking forward to uh, our conversation, but before we start, I want to make an opening statement to our listening audience. Uh, I want you all to understand that we're not political commentators, policy pundits, or representing any ideological group uh, that is for or against the Affordable Care Act, the ACA, as it exists today. We're just two experienced benefit consultants sharing our views as to what might occur next as the Trump administration takes office in 2017. Stuart, and as I prepared for the show, everything I read indicates that more than Half of the American public is divided on the law, uh, which resulted in coverage to more than 30 million people, and not a single organization representing patients, doctors, hospitals, prescription drug companies, medical suppliers, or insurance companies support uh, repealing the law entirely. Uh, the sentiment seems so far to be uh, fix what's there uh, and add what is missing. Uh, having said that, Stuart, uh, what are your observations about the election and uh, commentary about the eventual decisions on on uh, on health care? Well, <clears throat> interestingly enough, the results of the 2016 presidential election uh, and and what would come next, uh, if if James Coney, uh, the FBI director, hadn't tipped the scales in the campaign's uh, final uh, stages, uh, an incoming Clinton administration would be celebrating some uh, good news. Uh, supposedly because health care reform uh, was stabilizing uh, after a, a bumpy or it, so it seemed. Uh, newly insured Americans, uh, you know, reduced the number of people skipping treatment or facing financial hardship because of cost, uh, look as if they're, uh, they're uh, trying to stay with it for the long term. Uh, premiums on the exchanges uh, did uh, rise sharply this year because insurers were losing money. Uh, it reflected the mix of people signing up, fewer healthy, low-cost people than expected, more people with chronic health care issues. The question is, uh, was this a one-time adjustment or the start of a death spiral in which higher premiums would drive uh, healthy Americans out of the marketplace? Uh, the answer is that we'll never know, uh, obviously because of the results of the election, and that you know, sort of remains to be seen. Um, but there was some other uh, interesting uh, aspects, you know, that happened as a result of the election. Uh, when you take a look at the ACA in general, uh, the ACA was developed in 2010. It was primarily aimed at people who did not get insurance uh, through an employer and needed to buy it themselves. When you hear about premium increases and trouble on the exchanges, that has to do with the individual market. Most workers get their insurance uh, through their employer. Uh, so while the law uh, did not require essential benefit uh, package uh, from employers, large employer plans, which were not required to do so because they already were covering such benefits. Uh, in employer-sponsored health plans, 
most of the premiums are paid by employers. The average cost to workers increased just $1,386 uh, over six years. Uh, and the, the ACA uh, claimed that health care costs would reduce health care costs by $2,500 a year. Uh, in fact, uh, the effect of ACA, uh, that health insurance uh, premiums would go down for small business individuals, obviously did not materialize. So health care costs for employer-provided plans have grown much slower than expected since the ACA was implemented. So this is the seventh straight year of low premium growth, family coverage growing between 3 and 4 percentage points each year. Uh, and the Kaiser uh, Health Foundation noted that the implementation of the ACA did not appear to be causing major disruptions in the employer marketplace. Few employers made changes to working hours or hiring as a result of the employer responsibility provisions, with more taking actions that increase coverage rather than reducing them. So Kaiser estimated that the cumulative premium increases were 63% from 2001 to 2006, 31% for 2006 to 2011, and 20% from the period of 2011 through 2016. So the, these are the things that we had seen as a result of, of the election. Right, right. Certainly a lot to to digest there, but um, interesting numbers, certainly. I'm um, looking at all the tea leaves out there. Uh, what are you hearing about potential Trump care and uh, public expectations? Uh, what are their expectations for change? Well, the the uh, Trump voters, you know, the question is, what do they really want? What were they really looking for? Um, so after listening to some of the supporters, uh, they were really were interested in enrolling in a health plan uh, that would be create, newly created by a new law. Uh, that that they were disappointed in what's happened before. Uh, they they are, are strongly interested in repealing and replacing the ACA, obviously with something you know uh, new and better. But what they really wanted was practical solutions uh, for their insurance problems. The last thing they want is higher out-of-pocket costs. Uh, and in December, uh, the Kaiser Foundation organized six focus groups of these folks around the country. Though the participants did not agree on everything, they expressed similar opinions on, on many of the questions. Uh, they were angry about their – they were not angry about their health care. They were simply afraid that they'd be unable to afford coverage for themselves and their families. They trusted uh, uh, new President Trump to do the right thing, but were quick to say they didn't know what would happen. They were worried about what would come next. Uh, they spoke anxiously about rising premiums, deductibles, copays, and drug costs. They were especially upset by surprise bills for services they believe were covered. They said their coverage was hopelessly you know, complex, um, and they expressed anger and disrespect for drug and insurance companies, expecting more from them. And the surveys showed that most enrollees in ACA marketplaces uh, were supposedly happy with their plans. Some people uh, had not fared so well, 
Several described their frustration with being forced to change plans annually to keep their premiums down, losing their doctors in the process. Uh, they were worried about what they called the chaos about what a repeal and replace uh, situation would look like. But most did not think uh, that a smart business like Mr. Trump would let that happen. Some who were uninsured before the ACA said that they did not want to be uninsured again, you know, having lived through that. There was one thing that many said uh, things they liked about the ACA uh, was their ability to buy lower-cost plans that fit their needs, even if it meant that less healthy people had to pay more. Uh, if these uh, Trump voters could write a health plan, many of them would focus on keeping their out-of-pocket costs low, control drug costs, improve access to cheaper drugs. They also would address consumer issues, including the eliminating surprise medical bills for, for out-of-network care and uh, assuring the adequacy of provider networks, making their insurance much more understandable. And that's basically uh, what they express in terms of, you know, their desires. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That network issue is really big uh, for a lot of folks out there. Um, Stuart, um, on the surface, uh, we're talking about a small segment of the marketplace, uh, but in reality, the ACA encompasses so much more, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Well, when discussing the ACA, people only associate the terms uh, with state-based and, and, and federal marketplace exchanges. However, it really encompasses so much more. It includes the small employer group plans, the VA, TRICARE, Medicaid, long-term care, uh, large employer group plans, ERISA, Taft-Hartley plans, and Medicare. Any replacement plan must require insurers to offer affordable coverage to people with pre-existing conditions. It's not possible unless the insured pool includes largely healthy people. And because many healthy people won't buy insurance unless they're required to do so, no developed country uh, leaves its health insurance entirely to an unregulated private insurance market. So that explains why private government hybrids like the ACA and Romney Care in Massachusetts uh, included an individual mandate. Failure to include a mandate would eliminate the freedom uh, for consumers to buy affordable health. The third feature that was critical to, to the ACA in its development in any replacement plan is to provide subsidies for low-income people. You cannot require people to buy something they can't afford. So the three years that will be difficult to circumvent are the pre-ex concern, the individual mandate, and the subsidies. While all of this is going on, the new Congress is being asked to cut taxes on businesses and the rich, which are used to finance the ACA benefits for 30 million uh, low- and middle-income Americans. Other targets include slashing federal commitments to Medicaid, uh, giving states block grants uh, to build programs uh, at their own cost, and abolishing traditional Medicare insurance and replacing it with premium vouchers. Also being prominently mentioned now in these early repeal and replacement discussions is the reemergence of the public option, the one toxic topic that was required to be removed from the original ACA legislation for its passage. 
these are all very sensitive areas in 2017. So in a population of 323 million, we're really talking about uh, so much more than just 30 million ACA participants. But 293 million people who had health insurance coverage from some source were asked to make sacrifices to accommodate the 30 million without coverage. Right, and that's one of the biggest challenges that they're going to have to overcome as they put put together anything uh, that might replace this. And I think you really hit on it, Stuart. Uh, I mean, when I don't think people, folks realize that the uh, amount of money our country spends on health care is equivalent to the economy of France. I mean, we spend $3 trillion, and this uh, really impacted that whole industry, didn't it? Yeah. It's a, what it's, a, it's a huge number. Right. What concerns are you hearing about uh, the folks in the employer-sponsored marketplace? Is there anything significant going on there? Yeah, uh, I think so. Uh, removing the ban on lifetime limits is a concern of many employees. Scrapping it would fundamentally change how health insurance works for the 156 million Americans who have coverage through employers. Uh, many observers expect a reconciliation bill uh, will pass in the Senate, which would allow the rollback of some but not all of the ACA's provisions while they work on full replacement. The requirement that companies with at least 50 full-time employees provide health care coverage is probably on its way out. But most experts don't expect a huge number of employers to suddenly drop their health care benefits uh, in response to this. Firms will continue offering coverage uh, to their employees because employees uh, insist on it. Uh, I'd be surprised if the ACA ban on lifetime health care benefits really continues. I can see the federal government leaving that issue up to the states uh, if it chooses not to renew that requirement. It's important that we recognize that this requirement, like many of the law's other provisions, raises premiums for everyone. There's no such thing as a free lunch here, especially if we're going to be looking at actual costs for a replacement law. But let's look at the consequence of that action. It would put all of us a half second away from a real terrible medical consequence that would just de de uh, devastate uh, us financially. If the ACA goes away with nothing to replace it, health care costs uh, will go up substantially, which means employers will spend more on insurance coverage and less on employee wages. That's the concern in that marketplace, Sean. Right, right, and that's been a concern now for a while here. Uh, how do you, the rating agencies feel about the health care industry? Well, and Best maintains a negative outlook on the on the healthcare industry. Um, the negative outlook is driven by the pressure on health insurance earnings and capitalization from the impact of the ACA. Uh, this lower margin, you know, health insurance is a lower margin product line, uh, but commercial group insurance remains strong and it's profitable. The losses experienced on the exchange business have led to an overall lower level of earnings for the third consecutive year uh, from the rest <coughs> of the healthcare industry. <coughs> uh, 
What was the first challenge facing the new administration with regards to health care? Uh, there seems to be a lot of fear out there, especially on social media and in the news, about what might come out of this um, these changes. Can you explain the situation a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, yeah very much so. Um, how the, the administration handles a pending lawsuit over billions of dollars in insurance subsidies uh, will reveal whether Trump uh, wants an orderly transition uh, to a Republican-designed system or if he'd push Obamacare over a cliff, stripping away the subsidies at issue uh, in the case uh, that we put the program into a freefall. The question uh, is, the case is the House versus Borough case, uh, whether the, the ACA specifically states in its hundreds of pages that the government can pay money to help reduce out-of-pocket costs for low-income consumers on healthcare.gov and state insurance markets. Those subsidies for deductibles and copayments are paid directly to insurers on top of the law's tax credits uh, that reduce premiums uh, for consumers. House Republicans have taken the Obama administration to court. Uh, they argue that the law lacks a specific congressional appropriation for those subsidies, uh, estimated to total uh, about $9 billion, uh, this year, in, in 2017. A federal district judge in Washington agreed uh, with the House, and the case is now on appeal. Uh, the Obama, Obama, Obamacare administration has argued that the spending is automatically approved or appropriated under the law. More than half the law c uh, customers are currently receiving cost-sharing subsidies. The government's final briefing in the case is due on January 19th, the day before Trump is uh, inaugurated. So this is, this is coming up soon. <clears throat> and the U.S. District uh, Court Judge uh, Collier uh, issued the ruling in response to the initial lawsuit that was filed in 2014. And this, this case requires that both sides uh, submit their briefs uh, no later than February 21st. So that's that's coming uh, soon to your neighborhood. That's a um, big, big issue. Of, oh, sure, it's a big issue. One of the other things that's happened that's scaring a lot of people um, is the the concern that uh, Obama will will uh, delay uh, some of the other issues, <clears throat> uh, which affects the increase. Uh, in revenue to uh, to the ACA for you know for future use, and so they are in encouraging researchers to copy government data on Obamacare, out of concern that uh, President-elect Trump might hit the delay uh, key when he takes office. Uh, several dozen independent researchers are racing to download key healthcare data and documents uh, before uh, January 20th. I mean that's really the fear. Uh, you know that that all of a sudden data is going to disappear. Wow, that's a, a great point. It makes a lot of sense with all these reporting requirements and compliance issues going on. Uh, really, a lot of uh, things to pay attention to here in the first couple of years. That's for sure. Um, let's take a look at the opening week of the 115th Congress happened this last week. Can you give us an overview about? what has taken place and where the road has taken us? Uh, 
Yeah, uh, we're going to discuss, in, in doing that, we're going to discuss just some quickie uh, similarities between 2010 and 2017. Uh, March 23, 2010, a Democratic-controlled Congress passes the ACA Act with no Republican votes. During the past few years, moderate uh, Democrats and Republicans in the Senate had begun exploring ways to change the law, modifying its impact on small business, seeking lower cost options and changing how quickly subsidies uh, are available to help buy insurance policies uh, would phase out with rising incomes. Then came the 2016 presidential election and both parties retreated to their respective polarizing partisan corners. What came next was really a surprise to some. The new 115 uh, uh, Congress brought lawmakers back to Washington to work on January 3rd. Senator Mike Enzi, uh, chairman of the, of the Senate Budget Committee, introduced a resolution uh, that would serve as the vehicle for repealing much of the ACA law. Using a special procedural approach called budget reconciliation, the resolution calls on the Senate to get a bill to the Budget Committee by January 27th. This bypasses the Senate filibuster for budget-related measures uh, by a party-line vote of 52 to 48. The bare-bones spending outline requires members of four committees, Ways and Means and Energy and Commerce in the House, and Finance, as well as Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions in the Senate, to produce bills just seven days after President Trump inauguration. That would each save $1 billion dollars over a decade by slashing portions of the ACA law. Suddenly, the tone changed amongst Democrats. We ought to be talking about reform, Senator Tim Kaine of Virginia said. And if Republicans want to call it replace, and we want to call it reform or improvement, I don't care. Uh, if we don't work together on this, we won't have the opportunity to work together on any proposed future legislation. Uh, Senator Chuck Schumer of New York said that, uh, and he told uh, Republican Mitch McConnell, uh, that he had two options. One for Republicans to devise a plan on their own to replace the ACA, or don't repeal it, and come talk to us about how to make some improvements. Haven't we heard this before since 2010? On Wednesday, uh, January 4th, President Obama and Vice President-elect Mike Prince uh, met uh, privately with their respective parties to discuss strategy about how to move their separate agendas forward. That's how the uh, 115th uh, Congress got started. Boy, this sounds like a very contentious way for Congress to begin its work, doesn't it? Um, don't you mm -hmm. think a consensus will develop over time um, about what to do with the ACA? It will. I, I think, uh, and you and I have seen this, Sean, these are opening salvos of a new Congress. You have to remember there are some first-timers in there, uh, in both the House and the Senate, um, and they're listening to, to these opening shots uh, from their leaders who have, uh, who, who have uh, cautioned them in terms of how to react initially uh, to the opening up of, of a brand-new Congress. So not a surprise to either you or myself. Right. I know it's going to probably take a lot longer than people may think to change anything. Who knows uh, mm -hmm. right now? But uh, what are the tracking polls showing 
about with what Americans want Congress to accomplish. Uh, there's been some good data coming out lately, hasn't there? Yeah, um, Kaiser really has been on top of this. Uh, and what they showed was, and they did a study in relation to the economy and jobs and immigration. Uh, when asked about a series of health care priorities, uh, repealing the AC falls behind other health care priorities, uh, which were uh, the individual pay for health care, lowering the cost of prescription drugs, and dealing with the prescription of painkiller uh, addiction epidemic. Uh, when presented with two general approaches to future health care, 62% of Americans prefer guaranteeing a certain level of health coverage and financial help uh, for seniors and lower-income uh, Americans, even if it means more federal spending and a larger role of the federal government while 31% prefer the approach of limiting federal health spending, decreasing the federal government's role, and giving state governments and individuals more control over health insurance, even if this means some seniors and lower-income Americans would get less financial help uh, than they do today. Uh, as, Congress, as the congressional uh, lawmakers uh, made plans for the future of the ACA, the latest survey finds that the public is divided on what they would like uh, lawmakers to do when it comes uh, about the ACA Act. 49% think the next Congress uh, should repeal it, uh, and 47% said that they should not vote to repeal it but make changes. So really, you know, it's, it's a divided audience almost as we have seen for uh, probably the last last five years, Sean, certainly the last five years. Mm-hmm. Man, there's just a, a lot of things that they're going to have to work out. I hope that they can come to some sort of bipartisan solution. Um, what do you see as a four-step plan to repeal the Affordable Care Act? I know the Republicans released their four-step plan last Monday. Yeah. Uh, basically, it's in it's in these uh, small steps. Step number one was the filibuster. Uh, the Senate intends to pass a budget reconciliation uh, next week that would shield repeal legislation from a Democratic filibuster. Uh, the resolution contains language instructing four uh, committees that control health policy uh, to come up with necessary language to accomplish some savings. Uh, the second one is adding the details, and that's going to be the responsibility of the four committees of what you know it's supposed to look like. Uh, the legislation uh, would eliminate the tax penalties imposed on people who go without insurance uh, and on larger employers who do not offer uh, coverage to employees. Eliminate tens of billions of dollars provided each year to states that have expanded eligibility for Medicaid. Repeal subsidies for private health insurance coverage uh, obtained through the public marketplaces. Uh, could also uh, repeal some of the taxes and fees that help pay for the expansion of coverage under the ACA. Uh, step number three, the new president's role, uh, would be uh, to announce uh, some executive actions on health care uh, and that's expected, obviously, sometime after uh, January 20th. Uh, and step four would be, obviously, the longest and the hardest, would be to find a replacement. So as they move forward, 
uh, towards gutting the existing law, Republicans are scrambling to find a replacement. Uh, Mr. Pence said that the replacement would probably encourage greater use of personal health savings accounts and make it easier for carriers to sell insurance across state lines. Uh, It would also encourage businesses to band together and buy uh, insurance through association health plans, something we have not seen in, in quite some time, sponsored by business and professional organizations. Some type of subsidy or tax credit for consumers uh, would help to defray the cost of premiums. Um, also, Mr. Trump is expected to endorse the idea of state-run high-risk pools for people with pre-existing conditions who would otherwise have difficulty finding um, you know, available coverage. Uh, those would be the, the four steps that I think have been outlined so far. And I think uh, if I could add, one of the most important things to pay attention to for the listeners is to see what happens with the Congressional Budget Office and and the numbers that uh, come out. Because as you mentioned, all these committees have to identify at least $1 billion of savings. And um, as you see, making some of these changes uh, due to the 19 taxes in the law are going to really upset the apple cart a little bit from the numbers. So it's not going to be easy, Sean. I think that we can agree on yeah, it's going to be really hard. And I think that was the problem, that reason it took two years in the first place to pass mm-hmm. the law because of the uh, CBL. But uh, moving on, what are some of the frequent comments and criticisms you're hearing about this process? And um, any likely targets of these actions? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, killing the ACA's investment uh, uh, tax uh, will reduce the total capital gains tax to 20% from the current uh, 23.8%, so it's a 3.8% reduction. Uh, Republicans will be careful to make sure that tax reform is budget neutral. That goes to what you just mentioned before, uh, Sean, because they they want to use the budget reconciliation tactic to get it through the Senate. And the chamber rules prohibit such measures from adding to the long-term debt. So Democrats uh, financed the ACA in 2010 with more than a dozen tax increases, as as you mentioned, with levies on everything from medical devices to tanning salons to gold-plated health insurance policies. Two of the biggest were aimed at the wealthy, a surcharge on capital gains as well as dividends and interest, and a uh, surtax on their earnings. In addition to this, there was the 0.09% Medicare payroll tax. It may be very well that Republicans may be forced to delay the repeal of some of those tax increases, depending upon how slowly they phase out the ACA coverage provisions. Uh, That analysis is underway right now. Uh, Many are concerned that repealing their taxes will make it impossible to pay to keep uh, the ACA afloat while a replacement is being put together. The most vocal element of the critics is the uncertainty of what a replacement program will look like and what will be contained inside of it. Many have uh, answered that while Romney Care was the model for Obamacare, Republicans have developed many plans uh, and ideas of their own to replace it over the years. The stated goal is to provide a plan with better choices, with lower prices by not having a costly takeover by the government, providing a a transition period so people are not left without available uh, coverage uh, is the key to this endeavor. Uh, 
So the deadline for filing the ACU rates for the 2018 marketplace is this May, Sean. So not a lot of time to do this kind of work. No, that's true. That's a great observation. I didn't didn't think of like think about it like that. But uh, you mentioned it. All these different taxes are going to have a huge impact, and mm-hmm. I think one is the employer mandate because that's the biggest tax from a dollars yeah. and cents standpoint raised by the mm-hmm. federal government. So mm-hmm. if they get rid of that, they're going to have to raise taxes uh, quite a bit other places. Something that uh, could give some people some heartburn. Um, what a uh, the key. Uh, all the um, activity is how the public perceives how President Trump reacts to these issues um, as he sees important uh, as he sees I think he does see how important this is with the American economy Uh, can you give us some examples of what we might be able to expect yeah um, Donald Trump's approach to the world as he sees it is not based on ideology it's transactional in his response obviously because of his business background uh, he leads a people's revolution uh, against the status quo. He sees himself as an agent of change. Uh, some of the early uh, interactions can be seen in his reaching out to companies like Lockheed Martin, Boeing, Ford Motor Company, uh, uh, Chrysler Corporation, and, uh, and recently Sprint. His message is clear. Uh, keeping a good-paying American jobs in America and restoring the U.S. manufacturing base uh, whenever a suitable target uh, company is identified is, is critical. The creation of jobs is priority number one in this new administration. So this is not an unexpected development for an American president uh, getting involved in direct negotiations with companies uh, where there's a large em- employee base. As to the business decisions they make that potentially affect the U.S. economy, it remains to be seen how these actions play out over time. But there was another interesting development that, that came out of the election that is, is almost comical. Um, Donald Trump's relative popularity with union members, uh, although major unions like the AFL-CIO supported Mrs. Clinton, millions in the rank and file didn't. Uh, union members were alienated by their increasing out-of-touch leaders. Uh, Growing numbers of these workers uh, have the right to decide that they don't want to support a union that doesn't represent them and their interests. 26 states now have right-to-work laws uh, which bar unions from getting workers fired uh, for not paying their dues, which was a major outcome of of the election. Um, Right-to-work would stop uh, companies and union bosses from taking a cut uh, of a worker's paycheck to support their political organizations. This movement is growing after a Kentucky uh, court decision, uh, U.S. Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, So I I think uh, it's interesting to be seen uh, in near-term future. There are three states that are now uh, having discussions in terms of new laws that have been introduced uh, to turn them into right-to-work states. And this all came out of the election, Sean. Yeah. That's why I still think this this election will be in history books because of all the Mm -hmm. impact that it's going to have. But back to health care, what are all the various aspects of coverage 
uh, or with all the various aspects of coverage, I might say, um, what might a Trump Care program look like? Ah, interesting question. Well, uh, tax credits instead of subsidies, uh, high risk pools for the sick instead of just a law that covers, you know, pre-ex. You know, having a place to put those folks and then having those state pools funded properly. Uh, Medicaid block grants, uh, bolstering health savings accounts, uh, which, you know, which is a consumer-driven uh, aspect that many people aspire to. And capping employer-sponsored plans. Uh, things like the Cadillac tax, uh, which was to impose a 40% tax on the face value of policies above 10200 for singles and 27500 uh, for family coverage in 2018. However, that provision was despised by companies and unions alike, and its implementation was delayed until 2020. Uh, it would limit the tax exclusion on work-based insurance coverage uh, 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 Ryan and Price have both discussed making those limitations eight thousand for individuals and twenty thousand for families. So, you know, things like that remain to be seen. But the areas I just mentioned really are the areas that that, that we expect uh, voucher-like supports for for Medicare premiums uh, is another area. And you have to understand that Obamacare, as it's presently constituted, is socialized medicine. Uh, medical care is a service that not everyone places the same value on. The problem with a one-size-fits-all health care law is it doesn't work for everyone. Uh, you cannot buy a health insurance policy that only provides, say, 1990s technology the way you would choose to economize to buy a car, a used car, or, or a pre-owned home. The ACA does not allow individuals to take out a $25,000 deductible to lower the premiums. Nor is it, does it allow individuals to forego all coverage for medical benefits above, say, let's say $500,000 uh, or $50,000, which would be enough for about 99% of the population. A person who, who leads a healthy lifestyle and reaches middle age in perfect health does not qualify for a discount uh, lower than a similar age person whose health status is a hot mess and doesn't end there. So there are a lot of moving factors here. The ACA was designed with the idea uh, that demand for medical care should not be a function of income. Uh, it was designed uh, to maximize cross-subsidies, uh, which is the very uh, reason why the ACA has manifested its problems. Under those conditions, it's no wonder premiums in the exchange are skyrocketing. The ACA was poorly named. It did not make care affordable. It took away the right of consumers to purchase the benefit package and type of coverage they prefer. Uh, in the process, ACA made health care coverage decidedly more unaffordable uh, for millions of people who did not qualify for subsidies and have to purchase individual insurance on their own. It's time to repeal the closely regulations and replace them with something that allows coverage that's truly affordable and, and flexible and to stop the built-in dependency on the federal government. What about um, tax credits for um, medical expenses? Do you think that might be uh, something that would be considered as well? 
I think so. Yeah, I, I just mentioned that. And rather than subsidies, that that mm-hmm. may be the dollar exchange there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Uh, let's let's oh. talk about just on that point. Let's talk about for just a few minutes uh, Medicaid. Uh, sure. The expansion of Medicaid, which was a central part of the ACA, uh, faces immense uncertainty. You know, with the new Trump administration. Um, Mike Pence, the incoming vice president, uh, was proud of the Medicaid expansion that he engineered as governor of Indiana. The Indiana program has features that emphasize personal responsibility and required Medicare beneficiaries uh, to make monthly contributions to savings accounts earmarked for health care. Other states have used other variations to provide Medicaid uh, funding in their state. But it might be something that we would be looking for, you know, in a revamp of, of Medicaid. Right. That was, of course, because the Supreme Court allowed states to opt out of the expansion. The ACA originally had mm-hmm. a mandated states expand Medicaid. Mm-hmm. I think that's had a major impact on some of the numbers as well. Yep, um, in, in any early stage meetings concerning the ACA, uh, who do you think the people will be in the room? Uh, God, that's an interesting question. Um, the The National Association of Insurance Commissioners want to be one of those people at the table, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. They've made that uh, pretty well known uh, by the uh, the Connecticut Insurance Commissioner, who's now in charge of uh, you know Catherine Wade, who's now in charge of of the uh, NAIC. Other people uh, would most likely be. Uh, HHS uh, secretary uh, designate uh, Price. Uh, Tom Price is a is a Georgia physician. Uh, he opposed the the ACA uh, abortion and funding of Planned Parenthood, amongst other things, uh, could have a rapid impact even without a presidential uh, you know order in Congress. So he would be someone at the table. Another person would be. Seema Verma, CMS's uh, nomination, uh, Medicaid uh, expansion uh, in Indiana was very much a product of her consultancy. She's a consultant who helped uh, design Pence's approach to the Medicaid program uh, in Indiana. And uh, some of the critics oppose requirements that poor people pay for uh, medical care, uh, which include the uh, the Medicaid policy, but it's it's one of the up and coming provisions uh, that is potentially you know in the law. The other person who likely will also be at the table uh, is uh, Andrew uh, uh, Pulitzer, uh, who is the designate for the Secretary of Labor. Uh, he's the CEO of CKE Restaurants, who owns Carl's Jr. and Hardy's uh, Rand Restaurants. Uh, He warned of the harm to jobs in chain restaurants uh, and made many comments uh, about what's happened in in the overall economy. In a Wall Street Journal article, he indicated uh, between January 1 and January 30th of of a year, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, there was 833 part-time jobs, um, uh, and 97,000 full-time jobs. So the bottom line, he, he called attention to that article, is the economy overall added no full-time jobs. It lost them. 
He was talking about the part-time economy. So these are, are three uh, probably prominent people that you would expect to be at the table together with uh, other industry leaders in the healthcare delivery system. Mm-hmm. Probably some physician groups, the hospital association. Yep. Yeah. Pharmacy like benefit that. managers, things like yeah. things like that. All right, all right. So now, uh, by the way, uh, thanks to our listeners for checking out this interview. You're listening to a conversation about repeal and replace. I'm Sean McGuire with Stuart Slonen, and uh, we're regular contributors to a radio show called America's Healthcare Challenge. Uh, before diving into the problem of the ACA, how do we get there? <laughs> That's an interesting question. Uh, I think you need to look back in terms of, of you know, how this whole thing started. Uh, Jonathan Gruber, who's a professor uh, at uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, was a paid consultant to the Obama administration in 2009 and 2010. He was also uh, the gentleman who helped put together Romneycare. Um, and he, he more than rubbed a few people the wrong way uh, with his comments about how stupid the American public was, uh, the American voter, um, and he was the one who essentially designed uh, the outline of Obamacare uh, from his experience in Massachusetts. Um, and he, he explained that it was constructed in a tortured way so as uh, people would not understand how this thing was put together. And uh, critics as he testified before Congress, uh, said that there was a demonstrated pattern of, of intentional misleading the public about the true nature and the impact of Obamacare and its projected costs. Uh, Dr. Gruber suggested that the health law had been written in such a way that the Congressional Budget Office would not count required premium payments as tax revenue. This bill was written in a tortured way to make sure the CBO did not score the mandate as taxes. Lack of transparency was a huge political advantage, and the stupidity of the American voter was really critical to getting the thing passed. That's where we've come from, Sean. That's the legacy of how Obamacare, uh, you know, the successor to Romneycare, uh, reached our shores. Of course, we also remember the famous words, we have to pass the bill before we can find out what's in it as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that one always uh, rings true to me. Um, but let's talk about uh, the, probably uh, arguably the biggest part of the law, which was insurance market reforms, uh, in particular pre-existing conditions, preventive care, yep. children mm-hmm. covered under their parents' policy. Uh, what has been the financial effect for those who are covered under the ACA? Well, before uh, before private insurance market rules in the ACA, health insurance sold in the individual marketplace in most states was medically underwritten. That means insurers uh, evaluated the health status, health history, and other risk factors of applicants to determine whether uh, and under what terms uh, coverage would be issued, if at all. Um, the the Kaiser Family Foundation did a study on this about pre-ex, 
and they estimated that 27% of adult Americans under the age of 65 have health conditions that would likely leave them uninsurable if they applied for individual market coverage under pre-ACA underwriting practices in nearly every state. Uh, that's a conservative estimate and did not include details on several conditions that would have uh, been declinable before the ACA, such as HIV AIDS or hepatitis C. Uh, additionally, millions uh, more would have conditions that would have either uh, been declinable by some insurers based on their pre-ACA underwriting guidelines or grounds for higher premiums, exclusions, or limitations under pre-ACA underwriting guidelines. So, you know, that's, that's major numbers of folks uh, when you consider what existed before uh, March 23rd, 2010, Sean. Right, right. But uh, on the flip side, what about some of the variations of care under the ACA? What have yeah, some of those uh, been? <laughs> another, another danger area here. Um, if you go to the... In, in today's society, you know, living in an ACA age, uh, going to the wrong hospital, you're three times more likely to die. Not all hospitals are created equal, and the differences in quality can be a matter of life and death. Uh, in the first comprehensive study comparing how well individual hospitals treated a variety of medical conditions, uh, researchers found that the patients at the worst American hospitals were three times more likely to die and 13 uh, times more likely to have medical complications than if they visited one of the best hospitals. Uh, just this past December, uh, in a study that was published uh, at the academic journal PLOS-1, showed that there was considerable variation in outcomes that really matter to patients from hospital to hospital as well as region to region. Uh, the study uh, looked at 22 million hospital admissions, including information from both the federal Medicare program and private insurance companies, and analyzed them using two dozen measures of medical outcomes. Even a hospital that had excellent outcomes for heart care might have poor outcomes in treating diabetes. Uh, hospitals that treated a high uh, volume of cases were generally more successful than those treating a low volume. And patients uh, need more information. Uh, the paper uh, raises a major point of why don't we have broader outcomes, measurement, and transparency around performance? Uh, the researchers argue that this kind of information is necessary to judge the quality and narrow networks of hospitals offered by insurance company. The key thing about narrow networks is that they are created based on costs, negotiated prices, and things like that. You need to pay attention to both cost and quality. These are some of the missing elements uh, in today's uh, marketplace of care. Yeah, I totally agree. That's a great point, especially uh, paying attention to the quality between networks because, uh, like you said, those numbers are pretty pretty problematic. Uh, but one well, of the other not, issues... It's, it's, it's not only that, but it's also the narrowness of these networks right. uh, you know, that, that have been constructed under Obamacare. Right, right. One of the other big pain points for a lot of people is uh, the cost of drugs. Uh, how are drug prices... 
uh, likely to be affected by the ACA changes? Well, Trump used to to rail and complain against uh, drug pricing. Uh, now everyone is kind of bracing themselves to see what's what's going to happen. Uh, he made the cost of pharmaceuticals a central part of his campaign. Um, the transition health care agenda makes no mention of drug prices, though it lists priorities including uh, speeding federal approval of new drugs. Um, one of the major issues in, in, uh, Americans say that are concerning to them about uh, high health care costs, and a key part of that is prescription drugs. It's a pocketbook issue. Uh, people are looking to see what uh, what Trump does uh, and, his, and his team is ready to go on this issue. Uh, Vice President-elect uh, Pence's political career has long been supported by pharmaceutical giant uh, Eli Lilly and Company, which is based in his home state of Indiana. Uh, other key figures in the Trump circle of advisors have included a former executive at drug makers Pfizer and, and Celine, um, and the chairman of Williams & Jensen, uh, leading a Washington law, law firm, lobbyist firm. Uh, major companies uh, like uh, Pfizer and Novartis and AstraZeneca, Merck and Bayer have all been supporters uh, of Trump and now kind of stepping back and see what, what he's going to do. Uh, he railed against political power of the drug industry, uh, which uh, has been accused of blocking uh, Medicare from using its bargaining power to negotiate lower drug pricing for seniors. Uh, drugs uh, campaign platform included a proposal to give Americans uh, greater access to low-price imported drugs, uh, which would bring more options to consumers. Though prescription drugs have historically made up a relatively small share of the nation's uh, total health care bill, prices have risen dramatically, fueled by a combination of expensive new drugs like Sovarity, a treatment for hepatitis C, and aggressive price hikes by the makers of existing drugs like EpiPen. Uh, last September alone, uh, drug prices shot up 7% compared with the year earlier, the sharpest increase in 24 years. The price spikes uh, spurred uh, public anxiety, and polls show the majority of Americans really want help from the new Trump presidency to make drug prices their type uh, health care priority and do something about health, about uh, prescription pricing. Right. Yeah. Seven percent in the month of September. Wow. That's alone. That's a lot of. Yeah. That's that's insane. Uh, it's just a lot of money for a lot of folks. Um, mm -hmm. But as we begin um, looking at healthcare marketplace for 2017, just in the first quarter here, where are Americans receiving their health insurance benefits today? That's a good observation. Um, Eleven million uh, of the thirty million who are covered by the ACA, uh, you know, they they plan to purchase coverage, uh, you know, through the ACA marketplace. <clears throat> January thirty first is the last day to enroll and plan changes for the two thousand seventeen year. So that's where a segment of the marketplace is coming from. Um, em uh, employers. Uh, employees receive their health care through employers, that's 156 million. 
Medicare uh, 57 million, Medicaid and, and CHIP uh, nearly 73 million, uh, and, and Veterans Administration uh, 6.7 vets. So that's where the 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 marketplace is for where people are getting their health care. Um, the question we continue to hear is why are premiums rising so much? Well. In regards to the ACA program, not enough young, healthy people have enrolled. Uh, currently, they represent just a quarter of the marketplace. Um, for, for 2016 into 2017 now, the annual fee for not having insurance is $695 uh, per adult, uh, and the household is 2.5% of adjusted gross income. Those who did not enroll needed more care than anticipated. That's known as adverse selection, which occurs when buyers had better information, know that, that I'm unhealthy and need lots of medical service, and when I need that, than the sellers, which results in the highest cost consumers purchasing more insurance. Uh, insurers likely underpriced the plans that they made available to the ACA marketplace. Uh, regardless, it has led to some insurers exiting the program altogether, especially uh, in low population areas. So the combination of all these issues has led to a smaller overall plan with rising costs. That's not a good sign, and it's not been a good sign. Right, right. So we're taking a deep dive here, keep getting a little bit deeper into the IECA. Uh, can you give us a background as to how the law developed and also how the ACA has been described as a three-legged stool? Yeah. Uh, well, it all it all starts with our, our dear friend, uh, Dr. Um, Jonathan Gruber. Uh, while he served as a consultant uh, for both, uh, you know, Romney Care and Obamacare, um, they, they really people that surrounded him had no idea how the plan would be constructed, uh, what it would contain, what limitations uh, there would be, and the tax issues that were constructed as part of it. Uh, a famous statement uh, by Nancy Pelosi is saying it, that he did not help to write the health care law and that she doesn't even know who he is. But Pelosi cited his work in the past and mentioned him during the debate in 2009 before the legislation's passage. Uh, our bill brings down rates, she said at the time. I don't know if you've seen Jonathan Gruber of MIT's analysis of what that comparison is to the status quo versus what would happen in our bill for those who seek insurance. This is coming from somebody, you know, who claims that she didn't know who he is. Uh, her spokesman said she uh, she said she doesn't know who he is, not that she's never heard of him or met him. Okay, so, this is this this is this is the backdrop. But when you look at healthcare reform, you know this didn't start all of a sudden. You know from 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 2010. Um, in, two, in 1965, uh, President Lyndon Johnson uh, enacted legislation that introduced Medicare and also Medicaid. 1985, uh, the Consolidated Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act, I'm sorry, uh, introduced COBRA, intended 
amended uh, the Income Security Act of 1974 to give employees the ability to continue health insurance coverage after leaving employment. In 1996, HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability Act, uh, was enacted to protect health insurance coverage for workers and their families when they change or lose their jobs. Uh, It also uh, introduced something called uh, health savings accounts. Uh, In 1997, the Balanced Budget Act of 1997 introduced two major uh, federal insurance programs, Part C of Medicare and state uh, children's health insurance programs, or known as SHIP. Uh, In 2003, the Medicare Prescription Drug Act was passed. Uh, 2010 is when the ACA was enacted. And in 2015, the Medicare Access and and CHIP Reauthorization Act made significant changes uh, to the process by which Medicare Part B services were reimbursed and also extended CHIP. So there's been a great deal of health care legislation enacted. You know, it's not something that started from, from, you know, a dead stop here. Um, Let me comment about something that's really important uh, in terms of this being known as a three-legged stool. Uh, the, the analysis of the ACA uh, is that repealing the requirements to buy insurance would mean that more people would wait until they got sick, which would increase the average premium by 27% in 2019. Retaining the law's insurance reforms, but repealing the subsidies as well as the requirements to purchase insurance uh, would increase premiums in 2019 uh, to about twice as much as what's projected right now. Retaining the law but repealing the mandate uh, would newly cover fewer than 7 million people in 2019 rather than the 32 million uh, people that was projected when the law was first enacted in 2010. Retaining only the insurance reforms in the law, repealing both the mandate and the subsidies, uh, would leave 55 million people uninsured in 2019. So the three-legged stool as has been constructed is uh, rules that prevent insurance from denying coverage or raising premiums based on pre-existing conditions. The second is requirement that everyone buy insurance. And third is subsidies to make insurance affordable. Uh, the truth is that all three legs of this stool are necessary to ensure affordable coverage. And that's the story of the three-legged stool. Yeah, if you take one away, what happens to the stool? That's the it point. falls over, yeah. yeah. With all the statements made so far about repealing and replacing the ACA, uh, honestly, how realistic is it that the Trump administration will be able to accomplish this early in their tenure? I know his predecessor tried and uh, right away, and it took an awful long time. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's an interesting observation. Um, without the ACA guarantees, it's been projected that 52 million adults would have trouble buying individual plants. I mean, that's a lot. So if you think of the original marketplace with 32 million in 2010, now we're talking about, <coughs> excuse me, you know, 52 million. Uh, more than one in four adults younger than 65 live with conditions that private insurers 
uh, could have declined in some form under the ACA. Uh, this is given to us by the Kaiser administration again. A large share of those individuals likely get their insurance from their employers, uh, which does not take into consideration prior health. Uh, southern states carried the highest percentage of adults of risk of being shut out by, by uh, insurers. Uh, it serves people who cannot access employer-based insurance coverage or public health coverage as Medicaid. A third of the population in Alabama, Kentucky, and West uh, Virginia uh, would fall into that category. <coughs> Excuse me, Sean. So you're talking about a lot of people here. Right. That's a about of those... 8% of all adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Lots of folks uh, that would be affected. I think that's why you're seeing the divided poll numbers. A lot of mm-hmm. people are realizing maybe they don't want to vote against their own self-interest. Yep. Um, but based on the information we have right now, uh, how is 2017 looking up as far as sign-ups for the ACA marketplace? Well, uh, as federal tax penalties loom for adults who fail to purchase health insurance, the number of uninsured non-elderly adults ages 18 to 34 dropped uh, by 9 percentage points uh, between uh, 2015 and the the full 2016 year, uh, so there, the fear of the new Trump presidency and what it could mean for the ACA inspired over 105,000 people signing up for marketplace coverage the day after the 2016 election. So obviously, the numbers are ahead of where we were in the 2016 year. Um, and, you know, fear fear is a powerful weapon. Uh, fear that Obamacare as we know it will end in 2017, uh, boosted signups, and the risk of, of that subsidized coverage will dry up in 2017, was a powerful incentive to make people move off of dead center and go and obtain coverage. Uh, and this is where we stand at the beginning of 2017. Uh, Sean, we won't have the, those final numbers uh, until the end of February, but we can see the trend that fear is spurring these people to go get coverage uh, if they were sitting on the fence or not having it before. Right. Right. That's a good point. Stuart, what are the implications of repealing the ACA for Medicare spending and beneficiaries? Oh, boy. Uh, major. Is, is probably my my answer to you. Um, it includes many provisions affecting Medicare program and the 57 million seniors and people with disabilities who rely on Medicare for their insurance coverage. Uh, such provisions include reductions in the growth in Medicare payments to hospitals and other health care providers and to Medicare Advantage plans, uh, benefit payment and delivery reforms, uh, higher premiums for higher income beneficiaries, and also uh, new revenues. Uh, Donald Trump, Speaker of the House, uh, Paul Ryan, and HHS Secretary nominee, uh, uh, Tom Price, many other Republicans uh, in Congress have proposed to repeal and replace the ACA. Uh, and and who will be directly affected by this, obviously, will be the folks of Medicare age. Uh, the ACA reduces uh, uh, updates in Medicare payment levels to hospitals, skilled nursing facilities, hospice, 
home health care providers and other health care uh, 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 provider resources. The ACA also reduced Medicare uh, payments to hospital uh, that uh, help for compensated uh, care for uh, people who didn't have coverage at all uh, and for providing care to low-income and uninsured patients with the expectation that hospitals would have fewer uninsured patients as a result of the, of the ACA's expansion provisions. Obviously, that would be reversed. So what's the net effect uh, as far as the Medicare Advantage plans, uh, repealing the ACA Medicare Advantage payment process would increase total Medicare spending as a result of increased payments, uh, increase the Part B premium and deductible paid by beneficiaries, uh, and as far as the Medicare trust funds are concerned, repealing the ACA Medicare revenue provisions would reduce revenues to Medicare Part A and Part B trust funds. Um, <clears throat> what about the solvency of the Medicare Hospital Trust Fund? Uh, if, if that were fully repealed within the ACA, uh, out of the trust fund uh, would have funds reduced out of the Part A benefits that are paid. So again, when you take all these things together, you're talking about a massive hit to those of Medicare age, Sean. Right. And this is also where it gets sticky with those numbers from the Congressional Budget Office as well. Mm -hmm. um, one of the cr criticisms of the ACA uh, after about seven years of it being enacted was that it did not provide price transparency. Um, yeah. If we expect consumers to have a skin in the game, that's a word they like to use, yeah. and be more aware of their health care costs, uh, shouldn't the ACA have given them tools to do by now? To yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, the lack of price transparency on health care has been cited as one of the reasons uh, why we spend uh, too much on it. Uh, it's easy to overpay. Health care prices vary tremendously. Uh, that's changing slightly. Uh, over half of the states passed laws that established websites with health care pricing or require plans, doctors, and hospitals to disclose them to patients. Some employers and other organizations are also providing health care pricing to employees and the public. Um, that's the conclusion from a study last year uh, from the Journal of American Medical Association. It investigated the effect of having or not having this kind of information. Uh, it provides users uh, with the cost, both the total price and the portion that the user would be responsible for. Uh, from over 300 services, including various sorts of imaging, outpatient operations, and physician visits, through 60% of employees uh, with access to having this kind of information, face a deductible of, of over $500, only 10% use it. In the first year that this uh, information uh, began to be available, which was last year, and 20% after only two years, the study found that price transparency did not reduce outpatient spending, even among patients with higher deductibles or who face higher health care costs because of illness. So study after study has shown the same thing. Health plans report that the use of their price transparency tools is limited. 
with many enrollees unaware that they even exist. That's, that is the lack of education uh, in what's being provided to the public, Sean. And that's one of the fallacies of the ACA. And I think you pointed this out many times in the past. Uh, if it's not being provided, shouldn't we be provided, whether it's the individual marketplace, the small, large group marketplace, the senior marketplace, people need to have this kind of readily available information before they make health care decisions. Yeah, especially with higher deductibles going up too and yep. these network concerns like you were you were visiting with us about earlier. Um, man, lots of things that are moving there. One of the stated goals uh, of the ACA was that it was supposed to reduce costs for the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, has that happened along the way? Well, I, I think we've probably touched on that, you know, several, uh, you know, several times. Uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, published a chart showing that health benefit costs among private employers have increased over the past decade. Uh, the, the chart shows health benefits uh, increased by 6.9% uh, and, and became that portion of increased uh, compensation attributed directly to health care expense. Uh, it increased 7.6% through last September, which is an absolute increase in, in relative costs. Uh, the establishment of exchanges would encourage employees uh, to dump their employees onto them. Uh, the law contributed to this through a mandate on employers of 50 or more workers to offer affordable health care coverage. However, the administration delayed the enforcement of this mandate until 2015 for employers uh, with 100 or more and last year to 50 or more. For small employers who do not bear the cost of employer mandate, health benefits of a shared total compensation climbed at a steady rate uh, until the exchanges opened for business. Then they dropped and now they've increased. Uh, this suggests that small businesses had some success for a short while in sending their employees to the exchanges instead of providing coverage themselves. Overall, Obamacare appears to have increased employer costs as well as individuals in the individual marketplace. Uh, other sources say that total health care costs have increased even more because employers have shifted a greater portion of the premium to employees. And that's the problem that, that's been faced here. And that's the reason why you see these increased costs both in the individual marketplace, Sean, for 2017, 25%, and in the individual and in the group marketplace. The Health Research Institute expects that health insurance premiums in the employer marketplace will average 6.5% throughout this seven, uh, 2017 plan year. Wow. That's that's um, nearly six times the general rate of consumer inflation, John. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Those are some pretty amazing numbers. Um, who are the senators? You know, because I think a lot of this is going to come down to the Senate. But which senators are most active uh, out there, and which ones do you think will push for both repealing and replacing the ACA in its present form? I think I can think well, of one of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you can. Well, the, the head at the table, so to speak, would be Paul Ryan. 
then you've got uh, uh, Senate Majority Whip uh, John Conwin of Texas. Um, you have you have others uh, as well, but I would say these are, are two of, of the leaders out there. Um, and I think that's where you see a lot of these subcommittees, you know, speaking amongst themselves to try and fashion some different uh, versions of a replacement. Uh, another very active uh, member, obviously, will be uh, Finance Committee Chairman Orrin Hatch, uh, who could be very active in, in moving those discussions uh, forward. Yeah. I think the leadership and the committee chairs are really the ones to pay attention yeah. to. Yeah, um, when it comes down to this stuff, um, I understand the president Obama just partially repealed Obamacare. Can you explain this? Yeah, on September twenty second, uh, President Obama uh, uh, introduced to Congress a bill called the Twenty First Century Cures Act, uh, uh -huh. and, and which fundamentally reforms the way that the Food and Drug Administration allows new research methods and statistical analysis that will speed drugs to market. Um, he signed the bill on December 13th, and the Affordable Care Act uh, uh, was highly partisan when it was passed. The 21st Century Cures Act originated with representation from, from uh, Frank Upton, a Republican from Michigan, who was the chairman of the House Energy and Commerce Committee, uh, in addition to de her dem his Democratic counterpart, uh, Representative Diana McGett, uh, on a commitment to develop broad-based bipartisan legislation to advance medical innovation. Uh, because of this transparency, the final version of the bill passed the Senate 94 to 5 and the House 392 to 26. Uh, the bill's spending component is just $6.3 billion over 10 years on research committed to three areas, the National Institutes of Health, the Cancer Moonshot, and the Opioid Epidemic. Uh, those are hardly, uh, you know, uh, hills of fiscal conservative, you know, to die from. Uh, but the bill makes two big steps towards repealing Obamacare. It largely paid for this, by repealing $3.5 billion from Obamacare, spending on a poorly defined public health and prevention fund. Uh, Republicans also managed to add an important improvement in health reimbursement arrangements to the bill. Small employers' uh, contributions to workers' HRAs will be exempt from Obamacare uh, regulations. The passage of the 21st Century Health Cares Act is a very good sign uh, that uh, post-Obamacare health reform is on the road. And just to talk a little bit about HRAs, uh, HRAs uh, stand alongside of health savings accounts as ways to return control uh, Medicare spending to individuals. The primary difference is that it, the HRA remains an employer's property whereas the HSA is a bank account owned by the employee. Although an employer can fund rollover funds from one year to the next in an HRA, when the employee leaves, he abandons any remaining balance. Uh, for these reasons, HRA uh, are far from perfect. Nonetheless, these are, are moving in the right direction now, so there's their funding account options 
that will probably be very active in a new Trump administration, I would think. Right, right. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that was interesting that that piece of legislation got bipartisan support uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to the ACA. So hopefully future legislation will do the same. Um, the last time you mentioned funding accounts, um, can you explain why this is an important step in the health benefits and planning process and sure. uh, what might happen in the future? Since the major concern of folks who have health care coverage, whether it be through the marketplace exchanges or in the group marketplace, is their out-of-pocket expenses and their out-of-pocket liabilities. Since uh, a larger share of costs are being shifted to them, it's important that there be other sources of reimbursement for those first-dollar expenses that employees incur. Uh, And so now uh, the full thrust of what's available as tools are flexible spending accounts, uh, which are accounts which employees can set aside uh, dollars uh, for medical expenses they expect to incur during the plan year. Uh, health savings accounts we just talked about, which are employee-owned, uh, could have contributions made by the employer, but whatever the contributions into the funding account are, those uh, those funds are owned by the employee and are portable. And the last, which is the thing that's just been passed as part of the new Century Cures Act, is health reimbursement accounts, which will now have more new emphasis uh, in the employer marketplace, both for small and large uh, employer groups, so that there's another method of reimbursing first-dollar expenses. These are all very important tools, no matter what the shape of health care reform takes in a new Trump administration, Sean. Right, right. Um, these are important actions in, in uh, what has been seen an uneven road towards health care reform. Uh, we'll be observing how this new Congress considers to handle this transition to a change in the new Trump administration. To contact Stuart, you can reach him at Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T dot Slonin, S-L-O-N-I-N at R-C-S hyphen I-N-S dot com. His telephone number is 515 1313. That's 561-203-1313. Stuart, thank you for sharing this important information with us today. Uh, This is Sean McGuire, host of America's Healthcare Challenge. Wanted to thank you uh, particularly for being in our audience and joining us today on this special edition of America's Healthcare Challenge Colloquy Edition. Have a wonderful and prosperous day, and uh, we will see you next time.